Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Good morning. How are we? Ladies, that was uh, ministering to my soul. Actually, those are two of my favorite hymns as well. I got a lot of favorite hymns. I actually use favorite too much probably, but uh, those are two on the top of my list. Um, So thank you, ladies, for that. Uh, Go ahead and grab your Bibles. I want you to be in Exodus 34 and Mark chapter 1. So you're going to have to have two different spots open, Exodus chapter 34 and then Mark chapter 1. Now, I am going to go ahead and let you in on a little secret. Um, Next week, we have something special in the works for you for our gathering on Sunday morning. So uh, please be sure to not miss next Sunday. It's going to be an incredible morning for our joy in Christ. So please be sure to be here. Now, for those of you who may be like here for the first time, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm actually glad to see all of you. Um, for those who are jumping in now, we're actually in the middle of a sermon series called A Glimpse of Glory, where we're ultimately uh, trying to understand what God's glory is and ultimately see it because we are working under the assumption that we become what we behold, right? We become what we behold. What we find ourselves taking in is what we find ourselves putting out ultimately. And so if we become what we behold, and 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that if we are beholding God's glory, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So we want to see God because we want to be like God, right? Amen? Is that not what Christ's likeness is? Is that not what we are destined for in the walk with Christ that we have? That we are to be made in the image of Christ. Amen? Amen. And so far, we've understood what God's glory is. Now, I am going to quiz you this morning as to what we defined God's glory as. Can you remember? God's glory is the beautiful of his sovereign character. We're getting there. (laughs) I believe we will have it by December, okay? (laughs) I believe we will have it. It is the beautiful perfections of his sovereign care. Just so we can all get repetitive, let's say it together. One, two, three. The beautiful perfections of his sovereign character. Now, if you've already read ahead in our story or you know the story really well, uh, you know that we're about to see God's character on full display in front of us, right? And not not just seen, but heard audibly, right? And Moses' experience is primarily audible, which is an interesting concept. But uh, I want to go ahead and just kind of address this up front. I'm, I'm, I'm not sh- Nobody has come and spoken to me about this, uh, but, but I do often wonder, are there people here who are thinking, well, why isn't he teaching on anything more relevant right now? Like, come on, Scotty B. You, the, the world is on fire right now. Like, chaos is ensuing. Like, uh, there's riots due to race issues. Why aren't we talking about race? There's fear to the pandemic. Why aren't we talking 365 days on all the different do not fear statements in the Bible? Like, why aren't we doing something more relevant right now to the chaos that's surrounding us? And guys, if you're asking those questions or if you've wondered those questions yourself, I've also wondered the same thing. What, what is, what, why not speak on, on, on things relevantly going on to the world right now? Like, why not? Because ultimately, I believe that the most important question that we need an answer for right now is what we believe about God. 
What we believe and know to be true about our God is more important right now for our generation, for us living today, than it has been for a really long time, right? Is that not the most important question that we ought to be asking? Who is like our God? What is our God like, right? Should we not find out the answers for that? Because right now we need him most. Right now we need him not only in our salvation, but also in the chaos that's ensuing around us. So that's why I think talking about this and understanding who our God is is more important for us to be looking at than other issues that are good and right that need to be talked through. But right now, we need to know our God. Amen? Because we need to know, is it in his nature to just abandon us? Like, is, is what's going on right now because he's just set the world aside and said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Come on, humans, you guys got to step up your game. Once you get better, then I'll come back. But right now, I'm just letting things go. Right? No, no. Or, or, or is all of this around us because God has stopped loving us? No. Like, is, is everything that's going on an act of judgment on the world? Right? Like, we've got to know who he is to answer really tough questions that we are facing right now in this chaos. Right? So what we believe right now about who our God is is more important than anything else that we could talk about. And so that's why we're in this. That's why we need to talk about what our God is like. And hallelujah, he has told us exactly what he's like. Because he's not just transcendent, too far above us for us to understand, but he is imminent among us and he tells us exactly what he's like, which is what we learned last week. And so what we're going to be doing this morning is pressing even further into Exodus 34, right? So let's pick up in verse 5, Exodus 34, verse 5. I'm reading from the CSB. Verse 5, the Lord, that is Yahweh, right? Capital L-O-R-D. The Yahweh came down in a cloud, stood with Moses there, and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh, the Lord, is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and to the fourth generation. This is God's word. Now, last week we covered like five big characteristics of who our God is, what he's like. He is transcendent. He is also imminent. He is self-existing, meaning he doesn't depend on anything else to his existence. He is self-defining, meaning he is the only one who can really craft what he's like, not us. And ultimately he's unchanging in all of that. Right? But those aren't often the characteristics that we paint on our walls and our homes or put on our coffee mugs, right? No, we, we, we talk more about his love and mercy and grace, and that's exactly what we're getting ready to get into. We're getting into the more coffee mugs characteristics of God, right? And the first one that we come across, <laughs> the Lord is a compassionate God. The Lord is a compassionate God. Now, in the Bible, the word compassion is almost synonymous with the word mercy. So when you think mercy, think compassion. When you think compassion, think mercy. In fact, some of your translations either have compassion or mercy right there. It's, he's a merciful God. He is a compassionate God. So this morning, it's plain and simple. This is as simple as I can get it for you this morning. God is 
merciful. Can we say that together? One, two, three. God is merciful. I appreciate you guys participating. This would feel very lonely if you didn't. Yahweh is a merciful God. And this is huge, right? So based on what we already know, based on transcendence and eminence, self-existing, self-defining, and unchanging, here's then what we know about mercy, right? The concept of mercy never came into existence, right? It never started to exist at some point in human history, but rather it Before the universe was, mercy is, because God is mercy, right? God has never changed in his mercy, therefore mercy has never changed. This understanding of what mercy is, is never changing because God is mercy. And in the Bible, under the category of mercy are basically two massive thoughts, two massive narratives, two massive ideas as to what mercy ultimately really is. Because God is merciful. Now, when we talk about mercy and try to talk about what it means, we usually juxtapose it to what? Grace, right? We talk about, well, grace is us getting what we don't deserve, and then mercy is what? Us not getting what we do deserve, right? So that's how we often talk about mercy in this. Um, let, me, let, me, let me try to illustrate. So for example, um, this is... This is where we get to be the church and we just get to say, hey, here's all my baggage. <laughs> We're all going to be in this together, right? So how many of you have ever been pulled over by a police officer for speeding infraction or any kind of driving infraction? Amen. We are not ashamed. <laughs> But, uh, guys, I can be honest. <laughs> okay. But let's be honest. I, I'll be honest. Like, I've actually not been pulled over before. And it's probably going to happen this week now that I mentioned that. I've never been pulled over. I've been through a, um, a checkpoint, but I've never been pulled over for any kind of infraction. Now, if there are police officers watching our live stream, I'm asking you for mercy, okay? Because that's what we're going to be talking about right now. So remember that, you remember that whole scene, right? You, you, you know you got caught. You, you, you see the, the red and blue lights flashing. You know you got caught. You know you're guilty. So you pull over and, and goodness, You, you, you kind of prep yourself, you, you see him walking up and you roll down the window and you put on the nicest face and the nicest temperament because you want to win this cop over. So he comes up with his little ticket book. You know why I pulled you over? I don't know that that's what they always ask, but uh, except for TV shows, because I haven't experienced it, okay? You know why I pulled you over? Yeah, I was speeding, right? And so you try to get really nice with him and you try to win him over in the hopes that he will be what? Merciful, right? So that you don't have to pay a lousy $300 fine for going 55 and a 35, right? Which I've never done, right? <laughs> never, I mean, never been caught for it. That's probably, <laughs> ooh, confessions. Um, so in reality, you and I bank on mercy all the time because we realize that we're more guilty than we think, right? In that scenario, I'm banking or hoping, hoping that this guy is going to be merciful with me, with me and just say, hey, all right, just a warning. Next time, don't be going so fast. And he walks off and you're scot-free. But what has to be true about that officer in order for you to hope for mercy? That officer has to be merciful, right? He's got to have it in his 
character or his nature to be merciful. Right? If, if it's not in his nature, then what can you expect? You can expect the full punishment of the law on you, right? Drop down on you like a heavy gavel. Right? Whether that's the $300 fine or you getting arrested. Because I don't know what you got in your car. So in reality, mercy hoped for without a God who is merciful is just wishful thinking. We have a God who is merciful. He didn't just know of what mercy is about. He didn't just define mercy. No, he himself is mercy. He is merciful, right? This is inherent to his character. If it wasn't true about his character, if he didn't have any mercy in him at all, then we would expect the full extent of the law to be brought down on our heads. So we ought to praise our God that this three-word statement is fact. That it's just not wishful thinking, but it is how God has defined himself. And we see this all over scripture. It is peppered throughout the narrative of God with us. That's in the Bible, right? In fact, in this idea, I'm, I'm, I don't want to confuse you because there's two massive narratives to what mercy is. And we're under the first massive narrative. And under that, there's two smaller narratives. Oh boy. Two smaller narratives, right? So the, here's, here's, here's the first thing about this first narrative that God is. Because God is merciful, he doesn't abandon us. Right? So let's say this together. One, two, three. He doesn't abandon us. Guys, I've got like scripture to back all of this up. This isn't just something I'm saying, oh, well, this is what I think mercy is, right? This is scripture. So let's look at Deuteronomy 4. For the Lord your God is a merciful God, right? He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. Or what about, what about 2 Chronicles 30, verse 9? It says, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, which we often see those two together because they're so beautifully intertwined, and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Or what about Nehemiah 9, verse 31? It says, nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. In God's mercy, he doesn't just say, oh, my hands are off. I'm no longer dealing with your life right now. But think about it. If mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, then if we are guilty and God isn't merciful, then what do we ultimately deserve according to this? We ultimately deserve for him to abandon us. And guys, I want to say that in the greatest amount of love and try to, like, let's humble our hearts before the Lord. Because of our sin, we absolutely deserve for God to say, I'm done with this. Wipe his hands clean and step away. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be abandoned. We deserve to be forsaken. We deserve for God to ultimately just end us because we often break our covenant with him. Because our sin is so great and so heavy, we deserve for God to just cut us off with no hope for future reconciliation. 
So this means, guys, that God doesn't owe us his attention. God doesn't owe us his affection. Do you realize the difference between the two? He doesn't have to pay attention to us. He doesn't have to love us. He doesn't, we, we, we don't have anything in us that deserves his love apart from Christ. But because of his mercy, God pays attention to every second of your life, from your going out to your coming in, from your laying down to your rising. He pays attention, and in every moment, he has the greatest amount of affection for you because of his mercy. So this, ultimately, the reason why I say that it's because when it comes to our relationship with God, we ought to come with humble boldness. Right? It's that awkward balance between the two, but we ought to start saying, God, I know I don't deserve this in and of myself. Scott Brod doesn't deserve anything, but Jesus in me is my hope for glory. So we ought to never presume upon or demand the mercy of God. But we can trust that God is merciful. And he will never abandon us. And here's the second part of that. Because he is merciful, he forgives our sin. That's, again, very straightforward and simple. But let's say that together. One, two, three. He forgives our sin. Guys, check out Psalm 78, right? Psalm 78. Yet God being what? Merciful. Thanks for shouting. I appreciate it. Atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Or what about Psalm 103? Here's where it's quoting Exodus 34. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And then what? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Amen? Guys, Micah 7 says that God delights to show mercy. He delights in mercy. Being merciful is something that God enjoys being. It's not obligated. He's not like, oh gosh, you messed up again. All right, I'll just, let me find it in myself to be merciful. No, he enjoys mercy. He delights in mercy. And because he is delighting in mercy, he delights to forgive us of our sin and atone for it in Christ. So because God is merciful, because he is merciful, he doesn't abandon us, nor nor does he leave us or forsake us. And yet he forgives us of our sin. So we who are condemned by the law, declared guilty in a court of law, he runs to us and not away from us. He fights to have us, all because of his mercy. And so in that he forgives us of our sin because of his mercy. And you know what this means then? You know what this means? Because God is merciful, because of his mercy, he doesn't abandon us when we are declared guilty, but instead he forgives us of our sin. Because of that, we have ample opportunity to return to our God. 
time and time and time again. Can we shout this together? One, two, three. We can return. Guys, check out Joel 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments, right? Don't, don't come with me with outer shame. Rend your hearts to the Lord. Return to the Lord your God. Why? For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Or what about Deuteronomy 4? Deuteronomy 4, when you are in tribulation, when basically the pressures of your life are building up, right? And all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. Why? Because the Lord your God is a merciful God. Guys, God's mercy is literally the open door saying, come to me. It is through his mercy that we can enter in. It is an open invitation for all the guilty to come. You and I can return to God. Guys, that means that no sin is too great. There is more mercy in God than there is sin in you. Do you grasp that? That that, that there's more mercy in God than there is sin in you. And therefore, every time you come, you can return. You can come back to God even though you might be stained by guilt. Guys, no matter how stained your story is or how messed up you think you are, all who seek the mercy of God at the foot of the cross will find the mercy of God in the person of Christ. And this fact alone should like just overwhelm us. It should rend us humble. I mean, out of all the things that, uh, like out of all the things that we're gonna learn about God, that's like perplexing and like awe-striking and and, like confusing even, and should astound us, out of all of it, mostly it should be God's mercy. Because we might ask questions like, "How, how could God love me? How could God even want me? It's because he is merciful. A.W. Tozer said this in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which I commend to you wholeheartedly. He said this, we who were one time enemies and alienated in our minds through wicked works shall then see God face to face and his name shall be on our foreheads. We who earned banishment shall enjoy communion. We who deserve the pains of hell shall know the bliss of heaven and all through the tender mercy of our God. So guys, this is the first main narrative of mercy in the Bible. The first main narrative that God shows himself to be merciful. And, and he, uh, he doesn't abandon us. He forgives our sin. In other words, as a summary statement, God confronts human guilt. God doesn't leave you in your guilt and shame. Instead, he forgives you of your guilt and shame and puts your guilt on his own son. God confronts human guilt. So I realize that there are probably individuals in here 
who are overwhelmed by their own shame, who can't even lift their heads when it comes to approaching the Lord because all they see is what they've done. If that's you this morning, I'm telling you, run to the foot of the cross. For when you run to the foot of the cross, you find the greatest mercy of God in Christ. Your guilt can be atoned for. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be washed white as snow. Don't turn away from him, run to him. When the prodigal son you know the story probably really well. The son asks for his dad and dad's inheritance. He takes it and runs, squelches it all on lustful pleasures in life, loses it, gets to the rock bottom, decides, I'm going to go back to my dad. At least I can be like a slave or a servant in his house, then I'll be taken care of. And you know the story. He is walking back, and his dad, apparently every day, kept his eye on the road. And when he saw his son turn around the gate and make his way home from a long distance off, the dad ran straight towards him. And you know what it said? It said he was moved by mercy. Mercy makes the heart of God run after us who are guilty. No sin is too great for you to be saved by the grace of God because of his mercy. Now we could end there, right? but we've got a lot more to go. Right? We've had a full morning and I don't want to forsake the second narrative because I think it's just as important. Right? Because we have this first narrative that God confronts human guilt, but this isn't all that mercy is. Right? There's a little bit more to the story. And so that's where I want you to turn to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to try to book through this, okay? Mark chapter 1. Now, in order to book through it, I figured instead of just reading you the story, how about I show you the story? Right? So I've, I've watched a, a series called The Chosen. Um, I would recommend it to you. Yes, they elaborate a little bit on the Bible, but it's okay, I, I, I think. And, and so here's, here's the story that's in Mark chapter 1, verses 39 through 45, where Jesus heals the leper. So let's... Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. 
my sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. I knew it. What can I, what can I ever do? No. Do not say anything to anyone. You don't seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. I swear that gets me every time. Um, I praise God. Now I want to point out to you something that the, the, the video wasn't able to narrate. But the Bible does. Which is why I think this is the ultimate authority. Right? Look at verse 40. We're in Mark chapter 1 again, right? Verse 40. Then a man with leprosy came to Jesus on his knees, begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now the narrative, the story, the video just jumps right to Jesus having a look and then kneeling in front of him and says, I will it. Right? But the Bible says in verse 41, look at what it says. Moved with compassion. Moved with by mercy. Jesus was moved by mercy to heal the leper. It was God's mercy that healed him. Not kindness, not love, not forgiveness. It was mercy. So guys, mercy isn't just simply withholding judgment rightly deserved. It isn't just dealing with our guilt. No, ultimately mercy is showing compassion. It is ultimately confronting misery. It confronts the misery of those in need. So you know the story when Jesus tells uh, uh, the story about the good Samaritan. He's being um, questioned by a, uh, an official of the law. Right, and he tells the story of the Good Samaritan where the, 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 the guy gets robbed, beaten almost to death and left on the side of the road. The high priest or the priest and the Levi walk by on the other side. And then who comes along? The Samaritan who apparently is good, right? It's built into his name now. The Good Samaritan comes and does what? 
tends to his needs, right? He cares for him all the way to the point, committing him to an end to be taken care of and supplies finances and everything to make sure this guy gets well and recovers from his injuries and from his damages. And at the end of the story, the, the, Jesus asked the scribe, which one of these was the neighbor to, to this man? And the, the, the official of the law can't even muster himself up to say the good Samaritan. No, he says the one who showed him mercy. It's mercy that does that. It is a work of mercy that confronts those in need, that confronts the misery of those who are in desperate need. It's not love, it's not kindness, it's not grace, it's mercy. So guys, mercy doesn't just deal with our guilt. Yes, it does that, but it's so much more. Mercy confronts our misery in our needs. Guys, you see time and time again, God show this throughout the narrative of the Bible. When the, the mom was crying, she put her son on one side and she went over and, under a tree and she went over and couldn't stand his crying because they had no food and water. They were about to die. God heard their misery and made them into a great nation, right? When God, when God heard the cries of his people in slavery to Egypt, he confronted their misery and brought them out of it, right? When, when the mom was crying because she was, she was not able to have a child, God hears her misery. And gives her a son who ends up becoming one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. So guys, it's no wonder that if Jesus is God, then when he shows up on the scene, his whole ministry is defined by works of mercy. Because Jesus is the merciful God. Guys, Jesus healed the sick. He fed the multitudes. He gave legs to the crippled. He granted sight to the blind. Jesus opened the eyes and the ears of the deaf and the blind. Jesus found the prostitutes and tax collectors, and he drew them in to the sphere of his love. Guys, Jesus touched the untouchable. He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable, and he welcomed in the undesirable. Jesus even now saves the otherwise unsavable. Why? Because they deserve it? No. No, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done in righteousness, not because we met him halfway, not because we took the proper steps forward and in good faith have elevated ourselves to the place of the deserving poor. No, but according to his mercy. Amen. Guys, we are here. Because Christ did not say with cold indifference, give them what they deserve. They brought it on themselves. No, seeing us in our misery and our need, he doesn't just feel for us. He takes the necessary actions to relieve us of our distress. He leaves the eternal glory of heaven and the perfect fellowship of the Trinity. He condescends to us, lives among us, suffers like us, and dies for us. Jesus Christ literally is the mercy of God. So in Christ, we get the fullest display of what it means for God to be merciful. God is merciful, therefore, 
he confronts human guilt and misery. The gospel isn't just a gospel about forgiveness of sins. It's a gospel about God redeeming his people and bringing them out of misery into eternal life forevermore. So isn't this amazing? God doesn't just deal with our guilt. He also deals with our misery. God makes sure that you and I know that he doesn't delight in your guilt or your suffering. He delights in confronting and removing both because he is merciful. So do you understand this? Better yet, have you experienced this? If you've experienced it, then you can't help but to admire it and to treasure it. And if you admire it, then you will become it, right? You become what you behold. If you behold the mercy of God, you will become the mercy of God. So if it's, if it's such that you say that you've experienced it, but you don't express it, how is that even possible? How then is it possible to experience it and to not display it? It isn't possible, You haven't experienced the mercy of God if you don't display the mercy of God. You can't even, same thing's true of forgiveness, right? How can you forgive others if you yourself haven't yet been forgiven? Guys, the evidence of God's mercy in your life isn't determined by how much theology you know or how many many books you read. The evidence of God's mercy in your life is determined by your active goodness to people in misery and in need. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And guys, I'll be honest with you. This, out of all the attributes... It's probably one of the hardest for us for us to emulate. This is easily one of the hardest ways for us to make much of our God by acting like Him, by being like Him. Why? Because inherently, you and I love to people love to see people get what they deserve, don't we? When we're the ones getting pulled over for speeding by, we want mercy. When we see somebody zooming by us, we want them to get caught, right? And, am I not right? Is that true? I, I, I'm guilty. That, I'll admit that. That's me, right? <laughs> Guys, we have social media mobs who digitally riot until a person gets what they deserve, right? If someone sins against us, we aren't satisfied until they get what's coming to them, ultimately. And if someone doesn't meet our expectations, even though they haven't really sinned against us, we make sure that they know they've messed up and deserve our anger and our unforgiveness until they repent. So when when we see people, now I'm going to be touching on probably a touchy topic, okay? When we see people who are poor and homeless and they're calling around, they're asking for help, our first response is what? to get skeptical, to assess whether or not they actually deserve our help, and then we might respond. Guys, merciful people don't ask the question, what do they deserve? Merciful people ask the question, what do they need? 
Because mercy doesn't come up with a list of qualifications that have to be met before they deserve help. The Good Samaritan story blows that out of the water. The, the Good Samaritan didn't walk up to the guy half dead and say, all right, so have you, have you been a local for this many, time, to this many days? Okay, so what have you done with your income recently? Oh, so what happened? Why didn't you just go down the other road? No, he saw the need and he immediately responds. Again, this is touchy, right? That story also proves that merciful people don't ask the question, what is this going to cost me? Because if Jesus in his mercy was able to lay down his own life for those who are in misery and in need, then what cost is it to us to express mercy as well? You see, when you start asking questions about who deserves our help and compassion and mercy and who doesn't, then at that point, we're stepping away from the gospel of mercy and we're stepping into the gospel of law and works. We've set aside the gospel, actually. You're stepping towards works then. Now, I need to, need to put the subtext here, right? Because a lot of people are asking, well, when do we do it? When do we not do it, right? Guys, don't get me wrong. There are appropriate times for us to show mercy and appropriate times for us not to, right? God shows us that in his interactions with creation, right? So let's be clear about something. Here's God. Mercy is not outside of God and then compels God to do something. Right? So we aren't led by this external concept of mercy as Christians. We are led by our God who is merciful and has a perfect balance of mercy, love, grace, justice, wrath, forgiveness, kindness, generosity, everything. So there is a time where it is a merciful thing to let somebody hit rock bottom, which is what that father did to the prodigal son. But... When you and I start asking questions, well, well, how have they been spending their money? Right? What, what if they haven't been spending their money well? Or, or what if they'll go spend it on drugs and alcohol and gambling? Sure, those are right questions. Those are good questions. And there's ways to address the need without just saying, hey, here's $500, right? There's ways to serve those in need wisely. But when we start doing that and stop being merciful, we've lost the heart of God in us. We need to be sure to check our hearts because what we could be doing is looking for the line and not for the center. Let me show you what I mean. In the middle of this circle is godly mercy, perfect godly mercy. Right? But when we start asking questions and predominantly working in a framework of creating rules and laws for how our mercy is going to look, we're looking for where the line should be drawn, right? Which means you're not looking where. If you're looking to the lines on the outside, where are you not looking? To the heart of God. You're looking to when not to show mercy rather than looking for the heart of the one who is merciful. And if you're always looking for the line, then mercy will be more of an obligation than a delight to you. Helping those in need is a burden rather than a joy.
So I would ask that you and I turn our perspective back to the heart of God, which is perfect, beautiful mercy. Because God has been so beautifully merciful to us. So did you catch a glimpse of God's glory this morning? Did you see his mercy? Are you then going to let the world around you see the mercy of God displayed through you? Let me pray for us. Lord God, the all-merciful, you who never forsake us or abandon us, and yet you run after us all the way to the cross to forgive us of our sin. And in doing so, you address the greatest need that's in our life and the misery that accompanies it. And you relieve us of it. You draw us out of our misery to draw us into your freedom and grace. And I praise you, God, that that is who you are. God, I recognize that there are people here today who have not yet experienced what it means to be forgiven because of your mercy. I pray, Lord, that they would not walk away from here without coming to the foot of the cross, seeing the blood poured out, the blood of mercy that can wash them clean. And God, I pray for us as a church that we would be less defined by, less defined by all the questions that come and the skepticism that comes with this work of mercy. But God, let us look to your heart and let us emulate your heart with wisdom and with kindness and with outrageous generosity because you are mercy. Make us a merciful people. And I beg that you would do this work by your spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's all stand to receive this morning's benediction. Thanks for hanging in there. Let me pray over you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Lord willing, we'll see you next week. Have an incredible week. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.